I'm role-playing game designer Monty Cook, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Genretainment over here on SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. And Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. And for today's packed episode, we have two interviews. Yes, first up are Leonard Balsera, the lead Fate system developer and lead system developer from the Dresden Files RPG, and Mike Olson, lead author on the Atomic Robo RPG. Then we have a bonus interview. Sci-Fi Pulse Radio had a chance to chat a little with actor John Noble. Woohoo! <laughs> you probably remember him as the mad genius Walter Bishop. Mm-hmm. On the television series Fringe, Noble tells us about his, his new character who will be recurring on one of our new favorite shows, yes. Sleepy Hollow. Really good show. And, oh, and you'll notice that we're joined by Ian Cullen, host of SFP Now, and the founder of SciFiPulse.net. He's the guy with the British accent. Can't okay. miss him. Not not Noble, who's got the Australian British accent. Shy. No confusion there. <laughs> it's a Manchester accent, so it might not be quite the accent <laughs> no, they're it's used not. to. The, the English accent they're used to. <laughs> Before we start our first interview with two of the game designers of the Fate role-playing game, we should point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It's a song composed and performed by our friend Tishan Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now let's get started with our first interview. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So, for those in the audience who haven't uh, played Fate yet, can you tell them a little bit about the game and how it might differ from some other popular games like like D&D or Pathfinder? Well, the uh, probably the biggest distinction uh, when you're playing Fate compared to other role-playing games is that uh, Fate has these uh, traits uh, in them called aspects, right? Which are phrases. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you don't really have like like traditional attributes that are like, you know, your basic strength score or your basic uh, intelligence score or whatever, right? You have these descriptive phrases that say something that's true about your character, right? So you could be, you know, a uh, hard-nosed private detective, right, might be one of your aspects, or, or um, uh, has faith in people might be one of your aspects, or um, my daughter uh, Sheila means the world to me might be one of your aspects an attempt to sort of describe what it is that makes your character unique and and relatable and and human you know mm-hmm. um and you use those traits uh in different ways during play right you can use them uh in order to benefit something that you're doing so you know if if uh uh your daughter uh Sheila figures into the plot right and like uh, you're the hard-nosed detective. Let's say all these aspects are on the same character for simplicity's sake, mm-hmm. right? And like uh, somebody is uh, is uh, harassing your daughter Sheila, and you walk up and punch him in the nose as a hard hard-nosed detective is wont to do. Um, <laughs> you can say that your punch is better uh, than it might normally be uh, because your daughter Sheila is involved and. And and that makes you uh, perform better under that circumstance than you would otherwise. Um, you can also have your aspects complicate your character's life, and you get rewarded for that with a currency that's called fate points, which you spend for those moments where you're awesome. So it's sort of an economy that goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. And that's that's probably the single most 
defining characteristic of fate in reference to other role-playing games. Mm-hmm. So rather than like micromanaging every element of, of the character, the strengths and everything, you kind of go from an outline of the character being like an average person and use the aspects to define like what their good advantages are and what their disadvantages are, right? Kind of well, like, like a character. like, like you There, there are right skills to too. It's not, yeah, like, aspects not the only thing you have. But there are skills that are... They're pretty traditional, you know. The, but um, the differences between skills and like attributes, like the standard six in D and D, is that we're not interested in how strong you are, how fast you are, how smart you are. We're interested in how good you are at athletics, or how good you are at fighting, or how much you know academically, or something. We're more interested in how well you can apply the things you can do than just like a, a kind of abstract score measuring your strength, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the aspects like sort of move you from that baseline right uh so you can have a character that's better at at you know punching people or whatever than another character is right but that's it's it's measured in a very basic way so i guess you could look at it as sort of two layers of you have your competence the score that determines how competent you are and then your aspect determines how narratively invested you are in the moment, right? So if you have both things working for you, then you're super awesome. Right? <laughs> okay. And now Fate, we've recently released uh, a new version of Fate, or at least the new core rules. Yeah. And uh, the, the only, I mean, the only new version of just Fate, Fate by itself since, when did Fate 2.0 come out? Uh, Fate version 2 was like, oh, three? Yeah. Something like that is the first uh, setting agnostic version of fate uh, <laughs> to come out. Yeah, probably in 10 years. Now, were you guys there from the beginning with fate? Because fate, fate evolved out of fudge, right? Another yes. game system. I am of the two of us closer to the beginning. I helped in that way that like people giving opinionated comments on a mailing list help helped uh, Fred and Rob develop Fate version 2, the 2003 version, mm-hmm. then started writing for them in an official capacity afterwards, and Mike came along in an official capacity much later. Last year. Last year. I mean, I for Evil Hat, I had done... I, I was going to say, you've, yeah, you're, you've, but, you've yeah. got a longer resume than that. But no, I was, um, I came in... When I played Spirit of the Century for the first time, which was probably 2007. Yep. And um, fell in love with that thing and then um, got way into it. And then, yeah, my first first work I did was for uh, Cubicle 7 on Legends of Anglaire. And then I've done other stuff since, but I didn't get to, with, together with Evil Hat until, I guess technically is more the end of 2011. That's when we started talking with Fred about Atomic Robo. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a Johnny-come-lately. <laughs> One of the main books that uses the Fate rule system that a lot of people have heard of is the Dresden Files role-playing game. How did that develop? Because I know, Lenny, you worked, you're the main um, lead system developer on that game, correct? Yes. It came about because uh, Rob, uh, Fred and Rob are a new gym back in the day. Uh, They actually used to uh, game together. Uh, They used to play uh, the Amber Diceless RPG together. Mm Mm-hmm. They've known each other for a long time and wanted to pick up the license to, to do the game. I, I believe that it was Jim's agent that originally suggested uh, when they were talking about doing a role-playing game that uh, 
friend Rob might be good candidates to do it. They acquired the license and then uh, realized that um, they had very little experience as a publishing company and then uh, decided to become a publishing company so that they could then publish this game. That's the very short version. There's actually a longer version of this story on the Dresden Files RPG website, mm-hmm. DresdenFallsRPG.com. But um, that's the short version. Mm-hmm. Is uh, They actually acquired the license a, a, a long time ago and uh, decided to develop Evil Hat Productions into a publishing company that would be capable of publishing a game that would do the license justice. Mm-hmm. My role on the project changed a lot over time. I was originally helping a little bit, and then I found myself uh, as, as the responsibilities of running a publishing company started to take more and more of Fred and Rob's time. I found myself working more and more uh, in, a, in a bigger and bigger role on the project until eventually I was the lead system developer, and they are, was there was nowhere else to promote me. That is basically how how that happened. I, I sort of got dropped into it both feet into the deep end you know <laughs> are you thing. are you a fan of dresden files i am i am i i love uh i love jim's books i uh well that's how i originally became interested in working on the project right like fred was all like hey we're thinking about doing a, a thing let me send you these five paperbacks and he sent me the first five novels of the dresden Files: stormfront through death masks and uh, through death masks, or was it through through blood rights? Uh, I'm some rabid Dresden Files fan is gonna dock me <laughs> Dresden Files points because I don't uh, remember if the fifth book was blood rights or or not. Um, but uh, he got me the uh, those books, and I read them, and I fell in love with them, and I was like, yeah, this is awesome. That was uh, that was the start of it. Was it difficult at all converting that world into a role playing game? Uh, fantastically so. Yes. <laughs> When I look over the Fate rules, and I have never played Fate, when I look over them a little bit, one thing that's usually kind of missing, although I think you've put a lot more work into it in this new version, and obviously with Dresden Files, but up to that point, was like magic and, and powers and stuff. Yeah. So was that very challenging to do the magic elements uh, in Dresden, Dresden Files? It was, because, you know, magic, magic operates by all of these sort of Baroque rules right that that jim has set up uh for jim has described it in interviews as uh as being more like engineering in his head right Mm -hmm. like there is there is a sense of there there is that kind of rule like the rules of physics or the rules of like electricity or you know as as any of the the physical sciences right like there's Mm -hmm. a particular way in which it works and so there's a degree to which the game system had to model as much as it could the properties of that set of rules. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely tough. Dresden Files released two books, correct? Yes, it was... Um, Another one uh, coming out? Uh, yeah, there's a third. Actually, Volume 3 is on its way. Oh, good. But yes, Volume 1 and Volume 2, your story in our world, right? And our world is sort of the bestiary plus guide to the universe section of it. So it has all of the characters from all of the novels through small favor and uh, references to the the books and sort of talks about what happens in the books and has all the monsters in it. And, and it's, it's, 
it's that book. And then your story is the actual rules of the game and how you play and make characters and make cities and do campaigns and stuff. Mm-hmm. What's the upcoming third book? The upcoming third book is called The Paranet Papers, and it is a setting book and a follow-up for the fan guide bestiary character guide stuff that we did in our world and then say uh, a uh, primarily a setting book that sort of takes a snapshot of areas of the world of the dresden files that are not necessarily directly in jim's in stuff that jim has written i don't want to spoil it for any of your (laughs) audience but um there was a book in the dresden files called changes which did uh, what it said on the tin, right? It took a lot of the uh, assumptions and patterns in the Dresden Falls setting and shook them all up and did uh, a bunch of stuff with them. And so we're sort of showing elements of the world in the wake of what happened in changes and giving you just a lot of uh, ideas for campaigns you might want to run, showing you how different kinds of campaigns are put together, variations on, on the advice that we gave in the original game and stuff like that. I, I look at it as basically a whole big grab bag of usable stuff <laughs> okay. um, for your game. Well, cool. So let's backtrack a little bit about fate. So you guys yeah. just released the new version of the core rules huh? and they're actually what i thought was kind of cool is you have actually two versions of the of the rules you have the core rules and you have like a fate accelerated edition i think it's it's how it's, yes which which spells out f-a-e fay like fairy Fae. Yeah. <laughs> it is cool uh, uh, i a friend of mine joked that we should have called it fate accelerated travel edition so that the acronym <laughs> We can get was, back to fate being an acronym again, yeah. Was recursive, so the 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 acronym for accelerated was also fate. Fate, yeah. But uh, I'm glad that this is the fate, fate. The fate, the fate, fate. Yeah, I'm not, glad. Not, not the fate. This is the fate, fate. Yeah. This would only confuse the is it an acronym issue. Right. Yes, I'm. I would like to clarify for the public record that as of this time, fate is no longer an acronym. It hasn't been an acronym for a while. I know I was doing it wrong for a long time. Not uh, wrong, but I was still acronymizing it for a long time. Well, we but, never really, in Dresden and yeah, in Spirit of the Century, I don't think we ever really said one way yeah. or the other. Like, I think we messed it up also and sometimes like wrote it with caps and sometimes didn't, but it is no longer an acronym. <laughs> I've seen it capitalized as capital, you know, capitalized fate core. And sometimes fate not capitalized, but core all caps. Oh, that's I've not it's seen a that. It's fun variation. Yeah. What would core stand for? Hmm. Core. I, I don't know. <laughs> Come on. Really? Everyone? <laughs> I, I, Acronyms uh, are cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's the difference between the two? I mean, just in general, what would be the difference? Why would someone want to play one versus the other? Uh, Mike? So uh, Fate Accelerated is kind of aimed more at people who are new to gaming or younger gamers. Uh, it's You can think of it as, uh, I've heard this used before for another game, but kind of an earlier on-ramp to the freeway that is Fate, I guess, um, where you um, 
they're kind of fewer things to consider in character creation than during play. So it's um, it's just a more simplified uh, version there. Um, stunts are formatted a little differently, but still work the same as in Fate Core. Stunts are the special little rule-bending things you can do. Instead of skills, we have uh, approaches, which are uh, adjectives that describe the way you do things instead of the things that you do. So instead of, uh, you know, rating how good you are at fighting or shooting or um, science or something, you rate how clever you are, how forceful you are, how careful, how sneaky. And um, then when you describe what your character does, at least in my experience, you really play up the approach that you're using, and it results in really colorful gameplay because you can't just use forceful for everything, right? You gotta, you got to really, <laughs> like, ham it up. If, you're, if you have a plus three forceful, you want to get that into everything then uh, you know you really have to get that into the narrative and it's it's one of those it's my favorite kind of meta mechanic that an RPG can use where it feels like you're cheating because you're like oh I'm totally using this one approach for everything but actually what you're doing is making really colorful gameplay and yeah you're using the same approach for everything that's fine you're playing a sort of one note character but hey <laughs> it's still a pretty fun character in play so mm-hmm. so approaches are the big difference there and uh, there are fewer aspects we've characters only have three aspects from what i recall i was the i was like a system editor guy on a fake accelerated so uh, i don't to remember uh, i uh, um, i th- i think you can work up to uh now i'm gonna have to look it up yeah but there's and... there's no refresh i i think they're like they're basically anywhere that things could be streamlined a little uh clark Valentine streamlined it a little, but those characters are still totally compatible with fake core characters like yeah there's no difference in terms of uh, in terms of how the the system actually works, there's no difference between the two. The only difference is sort of what you're emphasizing. And even though it was designed for, you know, like I say, younger players or new players, there are plenty of experienced gamers and fake gamers who really prefer Fate Accelerated over Fate Core because it's just so – it's just like a bare minimum of what you need basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one, fake- one big strength that it has is in the short game, con games, one-shots yeah. – yeah. Uh, it's it's a very awesome. We had this wacky idea. Somebody comes over and is like, "What if we were the three musketeers in space?" Yeah. <laughs> right. And like everyone's like, "Yeah, that sounds cool." And you know, Bob didn't show up to the game session or whatever. And like, let's let's do this thing. And yeah, uh, it's very very good at at handling the short game. Well, we had a pickup game just like that at Gen Con where friends of mine and I, we played a Yakuza game. We're all Yakuza guys. And it's funny because the art for Fake Celery is all kind of like, you know, kind of looks like uh, Avatar, Last Airbender, or like sort of, you know, kid-friendly stuff. Where our Yakuza game had a lot of murder in it. Like there's, there's a lot of people <laughs> playing Fake Celery games that are not for kids at all. <laughs> Right. And uh, that was ours, but it was a lot of fun because it was so easy to throw together. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, the book is only like 50 pages or something and five bucks. Like, you know, it's uh, it's it's the bare minimum, like I say. I'm actually developing something using Fake Accelerator as a base right now. Yeah, and, that's, uh, that's, that is cool. one of the things that is kind of cool about it, too, like in terms of it is a, as a physical product. Because it's like a $5, 50-page yeah. book is that, you know, for the price of – one core book of a more let's say robust rpg right mm-hmm. 25 bucks you shell out and you have a copy for everybody in a gaming group yeah and then you can go right like 
And um, I, I feel so easy about giving them away. Like I, I gave a copy of Fake Core and Fake Celery to the local library. I gave a copy to uh, my son's teacher's daughter, who's in junior high, has never heard of a role-playing game before, but sounded like she'd be into it. I'm like, here you go. Here's And I gave her four fate dice, too. <laughs> Uh, Here you go. Have the book and do some dice. Go nuts. I, I happen I happen to know for a fact that Lavar Burton yeah. has a copy. Oh, ah, cool. Uh, Bought it himself in person at Endgame. Do you know the story behind that? Uh, I do. Wow, that's that's compelling. It, <laughs> well, it, please share. <laughs> that's yeah. a good story. <laughs> Sorry if I put your feet to the fire there. Asking if you knew. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. No. Uh. I. Uh. I know. The story as it was broken on the Twitter, right, uh, right, which is that um, Lavar Burton tweeted that he was going to be in Oakland, and Chris Hanrahan, the proprietor of Endgame, which is a fantastic, fantastic store in Oakland, was like, "Hey, you should come by the store," and he did. <laughs> cool, yeah, worked out. And that's pretty much the story. And he had mentioned that his uh, daughter, I believe it was, was getting interested in D&D or getting interested in games. And Chris was immediately like, why, you must own a copy of Fate Accelerated. Why do you not have one yet? Oh, look, yeah. you have one. Let's take a picture. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, you can get up to five aspects in. Uh, oh, yeah. In Fate Accelerated. Accelerated. Yeah. You I don't think you start in that Yakuza I... game. But yeah, yeah, I... I, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think you you start with that many, or you don't have to yeah. start with that many. I think the intent was to make character generation as quick as possible and as undemanding as possible. So you start yeah. with little and as you advance, you kind of broaden your character. Instead of getting more powerful, you get more details about your character and more, more flexible, I guess. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure online I saw Will Wheaton mention Fate. And I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't remember if he said he played it or not, or if he was he just. He did. He didn't. He played with Ryan Macklin. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the Valentines. You know, yeah, yeah, the Valentines was that that Gen Con, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. So there you go. We're gonna have the whole Next Generation crew pretty soon. I yeah. hope so. If <laughs> if well, I, I if like... if eventually I see a picture that is for real and not photoshopped of Patrick Stewart holding a copy of Fate Accelerated. I think that probably I could consider my life an accomplishment. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, it could even be I like, really you know, I, by faith, make it so. <laughs> I, even yeah. get, I even want to get guest stars, man. I want Denise Crosby to have one. Uh, I want... Uh, I want Who's uh, who played the Traveler? Who played the Traveler? Uh, that guy can get, get him a copy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. His... Um, Ensign Rowe. Ensign Rowe, right, needs one. <laughs> And uh, and I, man, we'll just—I just want to seed it throughout the entire the entire sci-fi television. We'll get Bruce Boxleitner one. We'll get yeah Tracy Scoggins one. We'll just everyone. There you go. I think that's a good marketing plan. You released these games and and the earlier versions under the Open Gaming License, and you also mm -hmm. released under Creative Commons License. Yep. So, what was some of the thinking about uh, doing that, and uh, and uh, what kind of response have you seen from that? Uh, what was the, yeah. the the thinking? I think the thinking. I, was, I think you'd have to ask someone else, unless you yeah. actually had something to do with that decision. I I, I, I didn't have anything to do with that decision. Uh, so I'm I am taking the uh the gumption uh to speak a little bit for for Fred and Rob, but I think the thinking was um to get it out to as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. 
right? Like, just to maximize its exposure. Well, and also, the fake community is a... Awesome. As, yeah, it's an awesome, like, hacker community, kind of, where people like to use uh, the resources that have been made available to do lots of other cool stuff. Like, my whole career writing for Fate comes from that. And, yeah, Spirit, uh, like Spirit I, of the Blank, his blog, Spirit of the Blank, is what he's talking about right now. Okay. And, um, well, I mean, Spirit of the Blank got me my first job, <laughs> you know, working on Anglaire. And uh, I did the Fate edition of the Kerberos Club, and I, I'm the one who made the call there to make that uh, to make everything OGL because I wanted people to have the tools to do stuff. And it's been gratifying to see people actually use those tools to make published product, to use stuff that I introduced in uh, Kerberos Club in other games, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, I was hoping would happen, but I had no idea if it would. And we, but I think that there's just people just want to share stuff they've done for Fate. Mm-hmm. Right, and we, we also have, I mean, we have a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of really great product out there that people have done for Fate. There's Diaspora. Uh, there, there is, as I was going to mention, Kerberos Club. Um, there's uh, Starblaze Adventures and Anglaire and Strands of Fate. And uh, it's kind of um, – there's no uh, there's no benefit, right? Not really yeah. in, in keeping – there would have been no benefit in keeping it closed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wasn't expecting anyone to pay a licensing fee to use like the power tier system from Kerberos Club. Like let's just let's just give it. Let people. If someone wants to do something with with it, great. I want to see what people do with other stuff. I think that you know there's just 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 a real sense of community. I feel around. Right. And you have to in in RPGs. I think you have to build that because the the let's face it the the industry is not large. Uh, you know, it is not the, the biggest thing ever, right? Like, I, I don't think that you can afford to make any decisions that are going to limit, all right, the potential scope and reach of what it is you're making. So I, to me, the open license thing was a no-brainer. Of course we wanted it out there. and mm-hmm. getting Well, and right along, along right. with that was in the Kickstarter, you back for a dollar, you get a copy of the playtest rules immediately. And that's right. the same kind of thinking, like, just have it, you know, and well, it's also, it's pay what you want on drive through, you know. Uh, hold on, I have to, I have to be a little bit anal retentive and correct you slightly. <laughs> sure. You get a copy of the first completed right. draft. Right. Which, well, which yeah. is not a, a, a play to, the book, in fact, was done Yeah. when the Kickstarter, the Kickstarter started. even started. Which, by the way, I know we're not not talking about advice for running good Kickstarters, but you got to uh, have your thing done before you start your Kickstarter, <laughs> right? Because because the revision process after yeah. the backers got involved was um, not you know not harrowing, but it was it, it it took its own brand of time mm-hmm. and required you know the hiring of additional writers and uh-huh. but you know made for a better game. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about the Kickstarter because you guys did a Kickstarter for this new Fate Core Rule yeah. book. How much did you guys raise, and uh, and do you have any other tips for people who are going to maybe try crowdfunding? We raised according to Kickstarter's website. It was four hundred thirty-three thousand and change. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and the initial goal was three thousand, I think. Something um, along those lines. Something along those lines, yeah, yeah. But the big number, I mean, $433,000, that's a big number. But the actual big number is that there were 10,100, I think, three backers. Oh, wow. Which, that's that's the big number, right? Because there are 10,000 people out there, 10,103, who 
as soon as they backed, they were able to download a copy of the rules. And those are 10,102 other people out there, if you backed, that you could play with, who you know have access to a copy of the rules. Uh-huh. And uh, that's like creating a community right there. there are lots of people who backed that who hadn't played Fate before. Um, but there's like the hype machine was uh, was running strong for that. And <laughs> the cool thing is that Evil had actually delivered on everything. Like we're still, you know, stuff is still getting released to backers, and things are coming out on time. And well, as far as I know, maybe it's not on time, but there's a lot coming out still. Like you know, people who backed that at a, uh, at a certain level really have gotten a lot of bang for their buck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so Fred I, was, yeah. that was one of Fred's biggest, like I know one of his biggest priorities and conversations that we had had was if we were going to do a Kickstarter for this thing, that the all, our ducks would be all in a row to make sure that we could deliver on a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it was so important, right, for the draft to come in when it did, so that he could have that first backer level that was like yeah give us a buck you can just check it out just check it out and it's yep. also been cool to see other kickstarters do that now that yeah that's, that's become like a sort of a default thing where it might not be a dollar it might be five dollars but there's a lot of back it for five bucks and get the rules right now and it's really cool to see that going around because it was so successful I, cool. should, I should say that like i was almost as much of a spectator on that one on that Kickstarter as anyone else. Like I didn't have any real oh. involvement in the running of the Kickstarter. That was Fred's full time. And then some job during yeah, that time. Oh, m- me too. I mean, I, like I, I knew what he was going to do. Yeah. We had talked about it. We'd been talking about it while I was working on the original draft for a while, but yeah, I mean, I turned in my draft and then a Kickstarter happened and then it went atomic and I was like, that's kind of neat. But for the large part of it, my job was already done by the time the Kickstarter started. Yeah. So now there's a core book out. There's a toolkit book out. Yeah. And then you've released two like world setting books. Can, can you tell us a little bit about those? That's all you, Mike. <laughs> okay. Well, the toolkit is uh, like my favorite kind of book. It's just a bunch of hacks and tweaks and alternate rules and suggestions for different kinds of games and a bunch of different magic systems and stuff. It's just it's just a bunch of ways to mess with your game, which is what I love to do with Fate anyway. So that was a really fun book to work on, and uh, I'm glad it's out there now. Mm-hmm. I was able to take a lot of content actually from my blog and clean it up and have someone edit it and put it into a book. So uh, like things that people like from the blog ended up in there, um, yeah. but better, it's, in a better state. It was It was very cool. That's one of the reasons why I say why I said it was all all you because like if it, it, it felt to me it feels to me like Fate Worlds is sort of like the validation of Spirit of the Blank right like this is totally the thing that we wanted to show people right was like here's all these ways of like right hacking game and alternate rules and well and even even the Fate Worlds books which are a bunch of settings like not not um, heavily in depth settings but certainly in depth enough more than to play. But each of those settings comes with some other rules, tweak, or difference, or something to make those settings unique. So it's not – even if you're not interested in the settings themselves, which are all good, by the way, uh, there are still lots of interesting new rules and things you can add to your game there. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I had very little involvement with Fate Worlds. I edited one of the, one of the uh, uh, settings, but uh, it's a really cool couple of books. It was going to yeah, be I, one book, but there's so many – there's so much content. They had to split into two. As an example – I worked on one of the settings in, in Fate Worlds, uh, which is called Fight Fire, with um, 
the designer of Fiasco, Jason Morningstar, was the the other guy who worked on that, and uh, and Brian Engard, who also worked on Fake Core, uh, also did some development work on it. But um, that setting is all about actual firefighters. Hmm. The whole idea behind Fate, like we have this this passage in Fate that has now since become sort of a marketing blurb, uh, that Fate. Uh, is about characters who are proactive, competent, and dramatic, right? Mm-hmm. And Jason pitched a thing to us where he was like, proactive, competent, and dramatic. Yeah, so actual real-life firefighters. And we were like, holy, <laughs> holy <laughs> crap. You know, Watch like, yeah. yeah, thanks. Thanks. PG-13, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. Gonna, God, Lord. Anyway, uh, PG-13 Lenny is like watching like Beverly Hills Cop on network TV in the afternoon. Right. <laughs> uh, Just replace the to, words with something else. Just, <laughs> well, you, you can hear it. You can hear it, right? Like you can hear the spaces in between. <laughs> the dramatic pauses. I'm mentally editing out the, uh, the language that would be inappropriate. But um, <laughs> so Fate Worlds uh fight fire right is about for real firefighters they don't have superpowers they don't they're not living in a cyberpunk dystopia they're just for real actual firefighters doing stuff that firefighters do and 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 that to me was so compelling no pun intended uh but one of the things it does uh one of the things it does mechanically is that it's got all of our rules in there for fire as a living thing Hmm. so that's its mechanical bit. Like you were saying, even if you're not interested in the setting, right? Let's, like if somebody comes to that book and go, I don't want to play firefighters. Yeah, that's that's, that's real. I don't want to. I don't do that. I I play games to, um, you know, uh, whack orcs with swords and escape and stuff. Uh, you can still take that fire uh, as a living thing. You know, fire built as a whole like scene to play against, right? Mm-hmm. and apply it to other forms of obstacles in your game, right? Like you can make the you take the fire rules and use them to make like, you know, the the magic genie construct rules, right? Like in your fantasy setting, they can work kind of the same way. So and aren't there aren't there some different teamwork rules in there too for I thought there was something about like different like firefighters fulfilling different roles. Maybe I'm thinking. Yeah, about they them. do. Yeah, they have like different skills. They, they, it, it kind of the design sort of forces you to work more as a party because there are certain skills that certain people get and certain other skills that certain other people don't, and there are certain tasks that you have to to go through when you uh, when you fight a fire um, that require you to rely on the other people in your team. So there's a little bit of that element in there too. Which is kind See of- that all of that stuff makes me think D and D. Like that sounds right. ideal because I like to run D and D with everything except D and D. No, I like D&D too, but, but um, that sounds perfect. Like you got a team of people, they have diverse skills, they're up against the environment, you know, like that. You know, there's some really broad applications. And yep. a lot of the new rules in Fate Worlds are, are like that. You can apply them to a lot of different things. That's cool. So what kind of other worlds are there in that book? Is there like a and d ish type world or are they totally different? Uh, no, there are some pretty unique settings, honestly. Uh, I worked on Camelot Trigger, which is like Arthurian knights in like big mecca in space <laughs> there's one of my favorites is john rogers crime world john rogers who you know was a guy behind leverage and uh, he worked on the D comic for the part of it that was really good 
Um, and Crime World is all about like how to do heists and cons in your games like real criminals do because he knows how real criminals do it because that's what they did on Leverage. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really fascinating read, and that also has new rules to it. But just to read it, like here's how here's how criminals think about you know pulling off crimes. It's really fascinating. There's uh, Sarah Newton did one called Burn Shift, which is uh, sort of like a post-apocalyptic uh, community building slash there are mutants uh, setting, which is really cool, which you could use incidentally to run a supers game. Uh, it doesn't say that on it, but you totally could. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? There are White Picket Witches, which is kind of like suburban, uh, supernatural, yeah. not, uh, not, not urban arcana, but suburban arcana, I guess. Right, it's like, yeah, it's like... It's like, um, yeah, it's sort of like uh, Desperate Housewives meets uh, the Anne Rice uh, right. uh, witches uh, books, okay. right? It's kind of neat. Uh, <laughs> no Exit, the uh, sort of psychological horror about a bunch of people in an apartment building who don't want to leave for some reason, and you are trying to get out. Oh, um, cool. There's a, honestly, there, there, there's no, there's an, isn't a setting that's like. Oh, okay, that's like Star Frontiers, or oh, okay, that's like D and D, or that's like uh, Top Secret. I'm going back to my old school references. Here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's like wow. There's, there's, there are none of those. They're all really unique, like different things that you couldn't point to any other game. You say, oh, it's like that. Like there really, there really isn't. The closest I'd say is Crime World and Leverage, but I really think Crime World goes into a lot more detail about the specifics of how these things come up than Leverage does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think they're they're a really great couple books. They sound really interesting. Some really cool settings. Yeah. Uh, what else is in the works for Fate? What what else can we expect to see down the down the line? Uh, well, the last stretch goal of the uh, Kickstarter was Dresden Files Accelerated Edition, mm-hmm. which is going to be exactly that. Uh, it's sort of a a reimagining of the Dresden Files RPG through the lens of Fate. Accelerated uh, intended to get at um, folks who are interested in in Jim's fiction, but might not be as hardcore into gaming, or because like the the Dresden Falls books were pretty intimidating, big tomes of RPG. Man, that's like 800 pages of like if you stack those two books together, they could stop a bullet. You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> uh, and they uh, and uh, and I'm don't get me wrong I'm I'm proud of them and I love them but like they, uh, there's a certain degree to which I think they're probably pretty intimidating for the newcomer. Mm-hmm. And, Especially uh, I'd say that someone who's just a Dresden Files fan doesn't know anything about role playing games was like I'm a huge fan of Dresden Files I'm gonna get this and then right. I bet I think we've all been there to one degree or another like I'm gonna get into this and you look at it and you're like oh man <laughs> right <laughs> I don't know um, so that is coming we begin work on that. Uh, Next year, at some point, uh, let's see what what else is going on. Um, uh, the day after Ragnarok, Fate Core Edition just landed. Uh, if I may engage in a little bit of shameless promotion, <laughs> of course, uh, that's what this whole thing is. It is the uh, the Fate Core version of Kenneth Height's most excellent post-apocalyptic military pulp sci-fi. Pick it, other genres that you want to throw them in the soup pot setting it's been uh done for savage worlds and uh for hero system and uh we get to do it for fate which finally was... found its true home <laughs> fate. i'm not not gonna <laughs> you 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 play it however you want it but i got I had to, nothing do the... to do with this development I, i'm just a fan so i had nothing to do with it i can say whatever 
That's true. <laughs> I I got to to uh, design that for them, and it was uh, an absolute joy to uh, to work uh, in Ken's playground. So that just came out. Uh, Young Centurions is on the way, and that I, I believe is a that's an accelerated derived product too, isn't it? Like your adolescence, it's the same setting as Spirit of the Century, which is 20s pulp, except it's earlier in your adolescence. I think it's earlier. Anyway, your your adolescence, your your it's more like young adult fiction, right? So you're a little it's younger, like, maybe teenager. Young Indiana Jones versus Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. So that's the focus. And uses Fate Accelerated, so it's another perfect thing to get you know get the new players in. Mm-hmm. I, again, I don't have anything to do with that one either, so I can just be happy about it. Be happy about uh, uh, the fact that it's Carrie having... Harris, right? Is it Carrie Harris? Doing it? Carrie Harris, yeah. I know she's uh, the uh, Sally Slick. Yes, uh, and she, yeah, she's also writing a novel, right, that's set in the same, or has written a novel, uh, I yeah. should say, set in the same um, time period. With called, young Centurion uh, kind of characters. Yeah, I, Sally Slick and the Steel Syndicate is what it's called. Oh, that's cool. Um, and uh, so it's like a young adult novel, which is... Pretty awesome. That's uh, let's see what else is on the Shadow of the Century. Of course, is on I the. Say, I got I got a couple plugs. Yeah. So right. Mike Olson, shameless promotion. Um. Yeah. Shadow of the Century is like the '80s version of Spirit of the Century in a way. Instead of '20s pulp mm-hmm. uh, adventure, it's '80s pulp adventure. So yeah, take so all your big your trouble, 80s little China and cliches, like... Yeah. Any Kurt Russell movie from the yeah. '80s. <laughs> um. And uh, so if you want to play a game where you're. Uh, you know, 18 plus MacGyver plus uh, Airwolf plus Tron plus Knight Rider plus whatever. Yeah. <laughs> big Trouble it's... in Little China, whatever. Like, there's there's room for it in Shadow of the Century. It's going to be a big, uh, fairly gonzo setting. Because um, for whatever reason, we decided that Feng Shui needed a direct market competitor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Brian Engard and I are both working on that, and Stephen Blackmore and uh, Morgan Ellis. Oh, very cool. What about... Well, and- but what about atomic robo what about atomic robo yeah that's been the focus of my life for <laughs> uh a year and a half um yeah that's in layout now we are i know i keep saying that but it's true it's a very uh layout intensive book because there's a ton of art in it from the comic and um right now one of the things i'm doing is going through and picking out art to put in the holes that uh, has been left by the layout artist and uh, that's a pretty cool assignment because it just means going back and reading the comics again um so that's looking good that is uh, coming right along um and i don't have a release date on it uh i know it should have come out already but i don't know what to tell you i don't have anything to do with the layout side of things i don't know <laughs> that's all sorcery i don't know how it works i just yeah we we are yeah that's gonna be a if you want to kick fred for more of those details we we are mere writers writer developers <laughs> i mean I'm really involved with everything to do with Atomic Robo, so um, I'm not going to go into any uh, grisly details, but I'll just say that it's a great book. It's better than it was. If anyone out there who playtested it, it's uh, an even better game than it was before. Um, it's proven to be a lot of fun for people. I ran sessions of it at Gen Con, and um, uh, that was great. It's coming along. It's looking good. It's in layout. That's all I can say. It's in layout. That's my, my stock answer. But I'm really <laughs> excited about it. And we started to talk about um, other books in the line for it. Mm-hmm. So that will be uh, cool, too. That would be for Brian Clevenger and myself to get together and uh, work those things out. Which, by the way, it's been really cool to work with both Brian and uh, Scott Wegner, the creators of Atomic Robo, to put that thing together. And 
for listeners who might not be familiar with the comic book, what's Atomic Robo about? Okay. Um, so in 1923, Nikola Tesla builds an artificial intelligence that he calls Atomic Robo. Uh, he's our Atomic Robo is about five foot seven or six, and um, he's a big, metal, invulnerable, immortal, um, well, almost invulnerable robot. And over the course of the next 90 years, uh, he has all kinds of adventures. Uh, he starts this uh, think tank kind of troubleshooting organization called Tesladyne Industries. And they're sanctioned by the UN to go around the world and deal with weird science-oriented problems. And so they do. So it's uh, – Brian Clevenger describes me as a mix of Raiders of the Lost Ark, Ghostbusters, Buckaroo Banzai, and Planetary. And uh, that's pretty accurate. I've also heard it called – like Hellboy, but with science instead of magic. And that's that's pretty accurate, too, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it's a really fun setting. The comic is brilliant, I think. I don't even read most comics anymore, but I, uh, I faithfully keep reading Atomic Robo and rereading it because it's really smartly written and just a lot of fun. And it's a lot of really cool takes on alternate history and secret history, mm-hmm. and uh, I highly recommend it. Mm, sounds good. Any other fate books in the works that you know of? From um, Evil Hat, or well, primarily Evil Hat, but you know, if you want to give a shout out to something else that's coming out, that's great too. I just got at the eleventh hour. I got involved with this Kickstarter for Jade Punk, which is a steampunk sort of wuxia uh, setting. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm working on that. That sounds that's fun. Out, yeah, that's coming out for Fate and Cortex Plus and Dungeon World, like three of my favorite games. So uh, that's uh, that's an exciting <laughs> thing to be a part of. I have uh, there is a uh, a stretch goal uh, for a, a Kickstarter for a game called uh, Red Aegis, which is a generational fantasy epic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's one of the things that's kind of unique about it is that you you play generations of a of heroes right over time. So it's not just like you make like your one character instead of like going from your with your one character from level one to level twenty, you know, proverbially speaking, uh you 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 sort of take the bloodline from level one to level twenty, right? And you play different characters. And uh I am have been contracted to do the fate uh version of that game. So there's also a Kickstarter project that I ended up getting involved in. That sounds cool. Yeah, it, it does. I'm, I'm really excited to see. I've been the, keeping an eye on that. The draft. So, yeah. So that sounds really this, interesting. Yeah. A lot of stuff's going on in the world of fate. <laughs> yeah. I'm really, I'm, I feel really busy. Oh, and also uh, don't hack this game is spinning back up. And I wrote a piece for that. That's a uh, hacks of don't rest your head. Uh, a game that uh, Evil Hat put out a while ago. When did that come out? I, I, I believe. I believe, technically speaking, that it is Evil Hat's first game. Yeah, yeah, I think so. As a publishing company, yeah, that was Fred's Fred's insomnia-induced magnum opus. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, it's a it's a really cool setting, and I wrote a hack for. Uh, using fate to play it or using it to of course you put, did put, of course i did that's what i pitched to ryan and he he bought it so what do you want um uh, so it, we were developing that a while ago and then it kind of uh fell by the wayside and now it's uh, come back up again so that's going to uh, i'll get back to work on that uh, revising yeah, what i wrote and then i be- uh, i have a a hack in that uh called don't fail your lord 
which is a, a Jedi Geki, uh, you know, samurai period samurai drama, uh-huh. uh, reskin of Don't Rest Your Head. That's well, the thing is that the dice mechanic in Don't Rest Your Head is is pretty slick. Yeah. And it's cool to see the different ways people can keep the same dice mechanic, but like have it mean totally different things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the chosen setting, but I didn't do that. I did a fate hack instead. <laughs> of course you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm also um, I'm working on uh, we, we we mentioned Kerberos Club before that's a, a, a setting by Arc Dream about uh, superpowered written by Benjamin Baugh written by superpowered people uh, in Victorian London that's really cool alternate history and I'm working uh, so I did this version of Fate for them for that game that's come to be called Strange Fate so I'm working on a a kind of uh, uh, setting free version of a strange fate for them that is based on fate core instead of uh, acronym fate <laughs> instead of pre fate core fate. So um, it's strange. <laughs> it's strange fate core. This is a pretty cool time for me personally. I feel like deluge with work, honestly. That's good. Um, but it's not a, not a bad thing to be a freelancer and have uh, a bunch of work. So, so is this a pretty good like a golden age right now of fate? Do you do you feel is this uh, that, high points? really yeah. The Kickstarter was accurately named for fate. I think. Yeah, it was I'm before, but it's the Kickstarter brought a ton of new people into the game. Good. Yeah, I'm astounded at what happened. I, I, uh, it is. I don't even think the full impact of it has like hit me yet. Like I, I, I kind of like to. Oh, you need this draft of this thing. Here you go, and like stay in my basement, chained to the space <laughs> heater, or putting out game material. You know, I, don't, I don't really track too much like what happens to it after it goes into fred's hands or, or whoever's hands and so whenever i look up from that haze and notice that there are all these people talking it kind of i'm yeah. like holy holy crap what what happened so it's kind of it's it's a phenomenon i'm really i'm very grateful that it has reached uh all the people that it has yeah it's been great all right. Well, we're about ready to wrap up. Shameless plug time. I mean, we've already talked about some of the books you're working on, but where can they find you online and your works online? I am um, at uh, at Leonard Balsera on Twitter. Uh, this is before I realized uh, that perhaps a shorter <laughs> yeah. Twitter handle would have been better. It was but, the early um, days. It was the early days of uh, – I actually didn't even make that Twitter account. The truth is uh, someone else made it because they, they thought I should be on Twitter mm-hmm. and gave me the password. And like two years later, I decided to take the account back over. Yeah. But that's where I am on Twitter. I'm uh, there infrequently. Most of the time, you'll probably find me communicating from the Steve Jackson Games website. I'm the marketing director at Steve Jackson Games. Oh, okay. uh, and so I post a lot to their blog, The Daily Illuminator, and I, I make some posts to Facebook and to their Twitter feed on on their behalf. But if you want the the unadulterated, the hundred <laughs> percent, I'm at Leonard Balsera on Twitter. Okay, uh, I'm I'm at Devlin One on Twitter, D E V L I N the number one, and then the blog we we're talking about before is a Spirit of the Blank and it's all about hacking fate to do different uh, genres. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely have to check that out. Sounds like a really fun blog. It is great. <laughs> That's what I've been told. <laughs> All right, well, great guys. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Like I said, it was yeah. fun. Yeah, thanks a lot.
Hi, I'm John Rogers. I created the show Leverage and wrote Transformers, and you're listening to Genretainment. Well, thanks to Leonard and Mike for chatting with us. Well, Marks. If you enjoy role-playing games, then we suggest checking out the Fate RPG. Mm-hmm. And now let's go to our bonus interview with actor John Noble. Hi, can you tell us about how you got involved with Sleepy Hollow and a little bit about your character? Uh, Alex Ringley. And um, well, I got no, that's not true. I got I got a I think a call through through my management first, and then Alex contacted me, and uh, we took it from there. Ringley in Australia. I was in Australia. It's just interesting, isn't it, that the uh, the episode's called The Sin Eater, and it introduces this character of Henry Parrish, who seems to have, he's a a reluctant sort of a a saviour, but he has this ability to, uh, in a sense, to remove evil from a person, and hence the name the Sin Eater. And uh, so, I'll tease you with that much, that even though he doesn't want to, he's um, called into action, basically, to to save Ichabod's life. And uh, and he does. So that's our first introduction, and we we establish a relationship uh, that you can see that there's some sort of John, how you doing? Good are you, how are you mate? I'm good, um, I'm just wondering, um, you, you mentioned that uh, your new character's you know, got lots of layers, uh, a bit like uh, Walter Bishop, um, how different is Henry from, from Walter, because you know, Walter was a, you know, very, very, to, to say a word, very eccentric, um, is, is Henry also quite an eccentric character, do you think? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah absolutely, but, but not in the same way, I mean he doesn't have that that I know so far, that extreme range that Walter had, you know, <laughs> the, the, the sort of mentally damaged character that he was. So he doesn't, from what I know, I, I don't see that type of rage. What I do see is the depth and the secrets and the psychological twists 
that uh, that I find very appealing about this character. It's a, he's, a, he's a mystery man, you know, and uh, and will reveal these mysteries. And I think as time goes by, those those revelations will be quite a shock um, to the other characters and, and to the audience. That that's great fun to play that sort of thing. But he, he's not a crazy like Walter was. <laughs> it's like getting lightning in a bottle twice, if you can understand the analogy. It's uh, and I know that there's a crossover uh, between these two shows. To start with, you know, the creators, uh, Roberto and Alex, um, are the common link. They're, and I know from just talking to fans over so many years, going back to, to Lord of the Rings through those years of Fringe, that there is a huge crossover within these science fiction fantasy areas. So I, I feel very comfortable in that area and very, very fortunate in a sense to have that stable base out there of people that I know enjoy and find this work fascinating if it's good. What's, what's amazing me about it is that it, it feels like the perfect uh, combination of, 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 of all the favourite genres. I mean, it, it's fantasy and it's science fiction and it's horror and it's historical and uh, it, it's also a sort of a, a, almost a procedural in a sense. So it's like the writers have, have linked them all together incredibly cleverly and, and the look of the show is fantastic. So, you know, they've they managed to do something with alchemy and make it all work, but it, it seems to be working really wonderfully at this stage. Okay, well, thanks, John. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you in the series. Um, I'm loving the series so far, so thanks. Good. No, thank you for that. Hey, this is Doug Jones from Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, Hellboy 1 and 2, Hocus Pocus, Pan's Labyrinth, and currently on Falling Skies. But today, you are listening to Genretainment. Thanks to Fox for letting Sci-Fi Pulse Radio have a moment to chat with Mr. Noble. And we love his character on Fringe, and we really do look forward to his addition into the crazy supernatural world of Sleepy Hollow. Well, that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Keep up with our show on iTunes, Facebook, or at the websites Genretainment.com and SciFiPulseRadio.com. And don't forget, you can also check out the other great shows on the Sci-Fi Pulse Radio channel like SFP Now, The Roundtable, and more. Until, Until next, next time. time. Bad monkey.